We're on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm really singing for your supper tonight. I uh, know. Uh, yeah, here we are on the boulevard, moving moving along. Chugga chugga. Uh, yeah. Hey. We're here. Whew. What do we hope got you guys on? are well? What's up? What do we got going on tonight? I mean, we've watched some things. We should talk about it. We have watched some things. I only have. I only watched one thing. Um, I watched a couple. Uh, I have a couple movies to talk about. One goes back a couple weeks, but I could try and jog my memory. Um, yeah. Why don't? Do you want to go first, or do you want me to talk? I have a couple movies, and I know you're talking TV. Um, do you want to so do, do movies? You do you want to kick it yeah. off? All yeah, right. let me let's let's kick it off. Okay, I'm going to start with one of like the biggest stars we've got, and maybe the biggest writer of all time. Talking the tragedy of Macbeth, the oh, Joel Cohen adaptation of Macbeth, the Shakespeare play, um, with. Denzel Washington and um, Francis McDormand. Oh, so do tell. How is it? I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's I guess. Fine. I, I like. Mm. I well, well, maybe we're coming at it from different points because I I love the play and I I think it's magnificent. Um, it just feels like such an exercise in who cares? Why bother? Well, that's because, kind of how I feel about Shakespeare at this point. But anyway. <laughs> I, so not me. I'm like, you know, you don't need a thesis every time you adapt something. But I don't really get the point of having adapted this. Um, you know, like, I, it looks like a modern version of what Orson Welles did about 70 years ago when he did mm-hmm. Macbeth. You know. It's still very dark. It looks beautiful. The cinematography, the lighting, the shadows, the sound, all of it, it 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 really looks beautiful. I don't think it should. I feel like we should look more <gasps> grotesque. Because it, it looks like, do you remember like that egoist perfume ad from like 1990 or whatever? Substitute another perfume ad if you don't. It looks more like that. It's beautiful almost to the point of distraction. Um, but that's fine. Um, like it's significantly cut this version, which is I watched on Apple TV, by the way. Uh, that's where it's available. <laughs> I still um, haven't figured out how to log in. You'll uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the plot is the plot. It's uh, not really been changed, but it's been condensed significantly. This movie is about an hour forty-five minutes. Wow. And um. So most of the actors who have been cast are Brits and are of the classically and Shakespeare trained variety and they feel very natural and Mm -hmm. they, they appear very natural and they speak the speech very naturally. Um, I, I, I just don't get that from Denzel as, as Macbeth. What about Francis? Well, here's the thing. I think she's fine. I think she's got a nice grip on the role, but the role is very significantly reduced here. Oh. It really is a very supporting role here. So she's, she's very good in her scenes. I felt, um, actually think she looks very good here too. Um, but, but she, she does not dominate the film in any way. And I go back and forth on whether I think 
how significant I feel Lady Macbeth is. Um, I think she is important in the beginning of the work of Macbeth because she's the one who drives Macbeth to commit the the murders that set everything in action. Um, and then everything else that happens with that character more or less happens uh, to her on an island. It doesn't necessarily cause any of the other major plot points that happen. Those Did all she get her out, out damn spot speech? Yeah, that's, that? she still gets that. She okay. still gets that. Yeah. Um, she's fine. Like, I just, I really wasn't feeling, it just felt almost tedious. I mean, I'm, I'm just a little surprised. Like, I know that Denzel is like star power, right? But I'm just a little surprised. Like they have a full, like basically a full cast of Brits and then Denzel and Francis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that seems a little. Yeah. No, I mean, Francis at least has a very good grip on the language that I, I mean, every intonation, of uh, Mr. Washington's delivery feels wrong. Maybe mm. once, maybe twice, and I am, but like wrong, like the inflections just uh, are, are like off everywhere it, it, to the point of distraction. It's not even that the fact that they're cast much older than they probably should be is a, a thing. He just feels so modern American film actor here. And you might say, yes, but he has stage experience. He came up through stage. He's done Julius Caesar in the past on Broadway, blah, 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 blah. I don't, I don't read any of that in this performance. Mm-hmm. And I know he's considered a golden god, but I really think he's been phoning it in for the last 20-odd years on film. Um, and I was surprised he even wanted to take this on. But I guess uh, it's a gamble that works because I seem to be in the minority of, of not picking up what, what he hath put down here. <laughs> what he hath putteth down. <laughs> um, and I want to um, also give a brief shout out to uh, an actress I really like named Catherine Hunter, who plays all three of the witches. Um, How'd Harry he, Melling do? I thought he was very good. Okay. Very good. Good, good. Uh, Brendan Gleeson was very good. I should say Corey Hawkins is in it. And what I think is edited down to only eight minutes of screen time. And he too is an American actor. So fan and uh denzel weren't the only the two oh, okay and he and he is fine it's just he he's not left with much to do either wow okay um i you know i just don't have a lot more to say to me it was a non-event in the end i mean it is not something i want to watch i am fine with never seeing another shakespeare for as long as i live i mean unless it's like it's got to be something like truly spe- like like that like one actor that like you need to see doing shakespeare to get me yeah. to see another one yeah and i don't i don't know that for me denzel would be that actor yeah and i'm not gonna watch it on screen like like oh, you mean I'm, you would see it on stage i will see it on stage gotcha. with that one actor who like you need to see in a Shakespeare, whoever that might be. And I'll know yeah. it if it crosses my path. I do not need to go see another Shakespeare. I mean, I, I've i just seen a lot of it and a lot of it is bad. Well, yeah. Like a lot of it is just bad. I mean, like I don't even, I like, and I don't even remember the only, the only Shakespeare that sticks out in my head was the ill-advised Helen Hunt one that was at Lincoln Center? Was that many was that ago. the twelfth night she did with the twelfth night she did with Paul Rudd? Yeah, I missed it. I was not here yet. She was terrible, 
But seated across the theater, like across the stage from me, was Madonna. So that was Ooh, fun. Ooh, that's yeah. a fun night out. <laughs> so, so that was a fun night out. And so when uh, you, whenever Helen was on stage, I just like went to see what Madonna was doing. And then Paul Rudd would awesome. come on and he was wonderful. And they had... um. Sir Toby Belch and the other oh they were two Brits and they were no it was Brian Murray and not he's not oh. a Brit it was Brian Murray and who was the other guy they were wonderful like there were some really wonderful moments in it and wonderful acting Helen Hunt was not one of them and that um, was right after her Oscar win it was right after her Oscar win and she was a hot commodity she yeah, was like the hottest yeah. then she was super hot then, so it was a very big deal to for her to like do this um, do this play. And at the time, the office that I was working in was representing Shakespeare's R and J, which was um, a Romeo and Juliet done at an all boys school. Joe Clark, I think it was Joe Clark, was the director, and this was sort of like put him on the oh, map in terms okay. of directing. Yeah, and it started in this little tiny storefront theater down on the lower east side but like literally you can only fit three audience members in at a time tiny 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 and peter marks reviewed it down there and gave it a rave and it ended up transferring to an off-broadway one of the off-broadway theaters on 42nd street and and helen was uh went to see it because she was uh i guess like trying to absorb a lot of shakespeare before she um went and you're trying to see a lot of shakespeare before she went on and did um this play gotcha yeah me and my wife interestingly oh uh, was yeah. didn't um, help her she was like, terrible yes you know i can't remember how it was received i knew it wasn't like super great it wasn't the stuff of legend but um was philip bosco one of the other philip big bosco names? was the other guy oh, yeah okay. he was the one with he and um oh my god i just lost it but that was Sir Brian, Toby Murray? Belch, Brian Murray. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. like Sir Toby Belch. These are great actors. They were fan freaking tasket. I mean, they were fantastic. Paul Rudd was fine. Like he was good. Like I remember him being fine. Like, so she was really bad. Oh boy. Was she? Her league, huh? oh, oh boy. Yeah. Like they couldn't even hold her up. Cause I mean, she's one of those who, especially at that point was really like tattooing her resume everywhere. Like, look what a great actress I am. I'm um, not on stage. She's wonderful on TV. She was great in film. I mean, I loved her in as good as it gets. And like we have talked about, I'm a huge fan Mad about of you. Mad About You. And I thought she was wonderful in that. So like, but she just doesn't belong on stage or at least maybe she doesn't belong in Shakespeare on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's, it's probably mostly that. Yeah, like maybe, like honestly, I think I would have a lot of fun seeing her and like Frankie and Johnny right now, particularly at her. Oh, I could see that. I think that would actually be a really good role for her to do right now. Yeah, I like that. Right? Y'all, why aren't I producing? Oh my God, I wish. So many reasons why. I know. Give me money. Yeah, it's that that easy. Put it out there. Yeah. (laughs) Give me money. Give me money. But yeah, I think like I could see her doing something like that. I don't think she could do like I don't think she could do like a period piece. You know, like no. No. She, yeah. She's a mar- she's a modern woman. She's a modern modern woman, modern actress. Modern woman. So yeah, so that's my fun story. That is a cool story though. Sometimes seeing who else is in the audience is the highlight of a show. I know. Madonna kept her feet on the seat. Really? Yeah, like the seat in front of her, or like no, no, no. She was, she, she was, she, she had her, she had her, um, her feet kind of like under her butt, like propped, like she was, mm. she had her knees up in the air, like it was really funny the way she was sitting, like she was sitting like a kid. It was actually kind of cute. 
Um, but yeah, she was in the audience and she was paying attention. And I feel like she might have been there with like Isaac Mizrahi or like it was not like she was with somebody. And I, I'm, I'm I, sure. I'm sure it was. I don't know if it was him, but but in particular. But yeah, I remember that she was um, she was there and I remember her being with somebody like him. I'm not sure if it was him, though. Well, I say your turn. Oh, my turn. So, OK, I have been watching um it's on netflix archive 81 tell me everything because i knew nothing about it and then the show sent netflix emailed me last week and they're like we think you're gonna like this show and i feel like i might like this show so do you like this show i kind of love it wow yeah okay first of all um okay remember a while ago i was talking about that movie about that guy that that young man who wanted to be a sommelier but his dad owned like a chicken and ribs joint and wanted him to take over the restaurant. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm going to say, I don't want to say his name wrong. Mamadou Athi? Uh, Ache. I think Ache. it's, I, I think it's maybe not spelled that way. Yes. And, and I know him a little tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. So he stars in this and I'm sorry, like I will see anything that man does. He is wonderful in such a very, like in a very quiet way. Like this is the thing, like, like the characters he play, he always, I don't know if it's the characters, but he's so subdued and quiet, like this very quiet. And you just want to, you just kind of fall in love with his characters because of the way that he portrays them. If that makes sense, like you just feel so much sympathy and caring for them and you want that you're like rooting them on and i really don't think it's the care i don't i don't feel like it's the way the characters are written i really feel like it's his portrayal like he just gets i I mean i think he's a gifted performer i i agree like his performance just always like hits me straight in the heart like i love him i love him so he stars in this so like already i'm sold like i saw i would saw he was in it i was like oh i'm good i'm gonna watch this i'm gonna watch this i'm gonna love it but it also has those sort of like creepy ass like elements to it that i love so it's kind of it's kind of a thriller but it's kind of a horror and it's kind of like a paranormal ish horror but Mm. it's a real slow burn so i think we're on like the fifth episode right now and they have eight episodes and i'm still not entirely clear what the hell is going on like there's a ghost you know is there a ghost i don't know are they time traveling i'm not sure um i don't care that i don't know i am so invested in this to sort of like figure out what the hell is going on so basically mama do mama do Mamadou Ache. Mamadou, Mamadou. He plays this guy, Dan Turner is the character's name. And Dan is uh, an archivist and he like is is a video as a tape restorer. So like he can restore like these like what is essentially artifacts now, like cassette tapes, beta tapes. And he works for the um Museum of Television and Radio and in their archive department and he like cleans up all these tapes and it's really cute because when we meet him he's like buying VHS cassettes Aww. off like a street guy who's like like the like you know the street salesman you know he's like selling and and I guess it's like a thing where they take like old VHS tapes that were like you know you tape it yourself and that's got nothing written and it's written on it and it's almost like a grab bag you don't know what you're gonna get and so yeah. like for five bucks you get like this bat this bag of like somebody's old video 
videotapes and like you watch it and you're like, I don't know what it is, but it could be something really cool. So like, it's clear, like he's a total like nerd when it comes to like VHS shit. Right. And, and he's like really excited to see if he, if he has something on this. So we kind of like get that in his personality. We get that he's a loner and we get that he's very good at his job. And, um, and we get some back, some of his sad backstory, which I don't want to like spoil. Um, but basically his boss, uh, gives him this tape and it's been, it's, it's a beta, I think it's a, a Betamax maybe. Is this set in 81 or is this contemporary? No, set in co- contemporary, it, right? But we're having like little flashbacks to like the nineties. Right. And I think it was 94, it was either 1990 or 94. I can't remember when in the nineties it was, but back then, you know, like you had like the little beta mat, like the little, the little tapes that go in the in the yeah in the cameras i can't i think they might have been called beta maxes um so he has to like restore this which was in a fire and he restores it and and as he's watching the tape he gets a glimpse of like what was his dog his childhood dog and and he had a childhood tragedy he sees the dog he wants to know why the dog is with this woman that's on the tape and then he ends up sort of, and then the guy that gave them the tape to re- to restore, he meets the guy and the guy basically says, there was a fire at this apartment building and I have all of these tapes and I need somebody to restore them and I will give you $100,000 to do the restoration work. But the caveat is you have to go upstate to some compound to do the work. That's where the tapes are. You can't bring the tapes to New York City. So like, let's go to this creepy compound in the middle of nowhere, by you know, sent there by this guy that we don't know. And by the way, it has no cell phone service and there is no internet. So like, and like, but I'm like, I don't care. I'm here. I'm along for the ride. And so anyway, now we're going down this rabbit hole where we're learning about the woman who made these videotapes because she's like a filmmaker. So she's doing, she's claimed she's doing a documentary on this building where she lives. I can't remember the name of the building now offhand, Um, but it's like somewhere like East village, lower East side neighborhood. Um, And so you basically are meeting all these quirky characters and also are they in a cult? We don't know. Um, So there's a lot going on here and the story is being told in sort of two time dimensions. So it's being told from the point of view of this woman um, uh, that made the videotapes, uh, Melody, and then at the same time it's being told now through you know while he's watching the video and that's we get her story and then it's also his story um as he's trying to kind of basically put together this mystery of what happened to her why did this building catch on fire is she dead or is she alive um we don't quite know yet and and why did she have his dog his childhood dog Mm. like you know so so there's there's a lot going on and it's really fascinating um Real Netflix has done a really great job at getting their writers to write that's those sort of like episodes that make you want to binge. Like as soon yeah. as you're done with one, they do. You're like, yeah. I've got to see what. Like they have this down to a fucking art at this yeah. point. I mean, it is absolutely unbelievable how good, um, th- how addictive this this show is and. And kudos to them for making it completely bingeable because I could have just, I, you know, 
if time had not been a factor, I would have watched the whole thing by now. It's like, it is, it has me like that, that fascinated. Um, apparently it was, um, developed by Rebecca Sonnenshine. And it says Do here, I know that name? Uh, she, interestingly, was a writer on The Vampire Diaries. Oh. Um, and also she's an executive producer on The Boys. So she's got oh. this sort of back... She, she's got a really interesting background. And so she's got some cred with uh, the creator of Supernatural, obviously, because he's the guy on The Boys. Uh, Eric Kripke, which, you know, somebody I love. And then also, you know, as producer and probably writer on The Vampire Diaries um, for a good long haul, which was, of course, wonderfully soapy and and excellent. So, you know, I, I feel like she's got some good, uh, good cred behind her as well. Um, uh, yeah. So, and the cast is great. And it's a cast of people that i don't really know with the exception of mamadou like it's sort of like all of these actors that are are kind of unknowns to me like some of them are like uh you look a little familiar with the exception of also martin donovan who plays the guy that hires him uh you know hires uh mamadou's character to to restore the tapes but other than that it's like a lot of people i'm like yeah i think i know you from somewhere um but they're all Mm -hmm. they're they're all really it's it's a great cast yeah yeah so, it sounds like it yeah so i highly recommend I'm, yeah i'm i'm i think i'm in yeah it's it's really good and really creepy and um and i'm kind of loving it yeah we just finished cobra kai and are <gasps> are finishing the search party season so it's probably gonna have to sit in our queue for a little bit more but uh my interest is definitely peaked and i uh i think i want to give it a whirl I would be curious to know what you think of it um, after you see it. We'll do. Yeah, we'll have to. We'll have to regroup. If any of you guys listening have watched it, uh, let us know what your thoughts are as well. So, what else you got? Okay, so follow me here. This is less about me watching any one thing and more response to a couple things that uh, have happened in the last week since we last spoke. So, one is I did want to mention, and it seems like. 2022 is rapidly on its way to surpassing 2016 among the notable names we have already lost in 24 days um andre leon tally one of the great voices in the world of of style and fashion Mm -hmm. and i am not i am not a great mind in the world of style and fashion but i'm smart enough to know one when i see it and he was and in fact um my fiance had just recently read his memoir um, right before the end of last year. So it even felt a little closer to home in that regard as we had talked about him. And one of the things we talked about, because he's written about it, is how he feels we don't have anyone left who knows what these gifts of great contributions to, to style and fashion are. He talks a lot, at, you know, because he used to hang out with the real the, I mean the real doers, avant-garde of fashion, the real, like yeah, the real, yeah, yeah like, the, names like that, the names that we refer to now were his contemporaries, yeah, and they got each other, um, and and in the book he talks about how now you know the Met Gala and a winter's Met Gala used to be the biggest thing, and the people that came out were icons, and the things that they wore became iconic, mm-hmm. and now it's these vapid people. You know, like, I, I don't mean any individual, per- but yeah. yeah, it's 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 
people who are Instagram famous and TikTok famous and YouTube famous and don't really have anything to say and don't really have it, don't really get it, don't really know what the scene is, just know that they can be part of it if they snap some photos on their phone and and then tweet or Instagram it out there. And I, Go ahead. I, well, I kind of feel like, yeah, I, I kind of feel like we've lost this sort of like New York used to be full of just interesting people. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, mean, I think it's right? maybe larger than that, but that's happened too. I mean, I've seen that happen just since I came back here like 20 years ago right. that, you know, like New York used to be cool and independent and everyone had a fire in their belly and all these creative thoughts in their head. And now all I see are, you know, like the same 7-Eleven on every block and like yeah. the same chain restaurant next to it and like all the things that made it a collection of uniqueness has been driven out and replaced. Yeah. It's all um, been gentrified out really. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know where that's all gone because I think some of it is also, you know, generational. Um, and that's something that I'll speak to in the next thought thread. But, um, but, but I believe everything that Andre Leon Talley had said when he was like, what is this thing going to become in the future if this is where we are now? Like these aren't people necessarily that have things to say or who know in this case, we're talking specifically about fashion. I know, but, but like these aren't doers. These are people who just kind of have a free pass to show up. And that's a very different thing. Right. And what does that mean? So the other thing that I know, you know, is on Friday of last week, Alyssa and I got to see Brian Cox at the 92nd Street Y promoting his new memoir, Putting the Rabbit Back in the Hat. We haven't read it yet. We will we each have our own copy. because Oh, you did get copies? Back. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and it was a really great, um, I mean, not a panel, but an interview because it was just him. He's He's been making the, he hit everything last week. He was on yeah. Fresh Air. He was on, I think, Colbert. He was on CBS Sunday Morning. He was on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Like, they got him everywhere. Oh, he did Wait, Wait, Don't Tell yeah, Me? Yeah, yeah, Oh, yeah. cool. Good for him. Um, and so for, for those of you who don't know, Karen actually has a real professional and I think friend relationship with Brian Cox. Um, yeah, yes. they invited me to the 92nd Street Y thing and I couldn't make it. But yeah, I was invited to go as his guest. And and <laughs> years after representing him, like every now and then you would still get to see him or speak with him. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm allowed, I'm allowed to say that. You I are think. allowed to say that. Yeah. Yes. Um, and what I love about him, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but like... He calls it like it is. There's oh, not. Oh yeah. There's not. A, there's not like. A, or, or he has a great bullshit radar. There's no bullshit to him. Um, but everything he has to say comes from a place of substance. And so, like Jessica Shaw, who's a, I think a pretty good writer, uh, was doing the interview with him, and you know, catching every time he said coming up like through the National Theater and the actors that he loved and the ones that he that inspired him and he's mentioning like the greats that I grew up watching right Alan Bates that Ugh. sort of thing well Alan um, Bates was his best friend I mean that's like his son is named so after Alan Bates like his son is named after Alan and I bet that's in the book I didn't know that yeah and Ben Bates um and Alan grew up together which is mm. Alan Bates's son Alan Cox Ben and Alan grew up together um and I actually hung out with Ben when Ben was in New York Aww. and Alan. So it was like kind of like they were a real family. You know, it was really kind of um, truly lovely and really interesting to see people like 
Alan Bates or like, you know, all of these Titans, right? Titans. And, they, and that's and that's it. They they were just by doing the work. You yeah. know, we talk about the real thing. Like they weren't they weren't doing like dumb movies or just getting away by showing up in, in like for five minutes and things. Like they were doing hard, groundbreaking, innovative for its time material and doing it so deeply and so skillfully. And mm. I mean the other thing is um uh, um, Brian was talking about, you know, when he would work, had worked with Laurence Olivier and called him Larry, which like, I love yeah, when you hear that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember I watched an interview when she was still alive. Whitney Houston was talking about Michael Jackson after he died and she called him Mike. And I was like, that's how you knew she knew him. Oh man. Well, yeah. Call him Mike. Um, and it was, and, and it was like that. And so he said basically what I say, which is how you know I have the soul of a 76-year-old man, which is <laughs> like we've lost all that connection to like the 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 great work of the past. It's one mm-hmm. thing to be doing stuff now, but you can only really have a passion for it now if you also have a respect and an interest and a memory for everything that came before. And mm-hmm. so he was basically preaching to my choir, talking uh, uh, about all of that. I don't know if he says it in the book too, but I just wanted to sort of tie those two different things together, Andre Leon Talley, Mayhe, and and Brian Cox, and just be like, this is my thing. This is my sort of soapbox about like, if you really love this stuff, whatever whatever the form is, you can only really love it if you're also passionate about all the stuff that precedes it, that got it to where it is today. And, and I don't know many people that do or care or know, like, or know anything about it. Um, so sometimes if you hear me talking about movies or theater or whatever, in a way that feels flippant or dismissive, it's because I don't feel like they get it in the way that they should, in a way that pays respect to all the things that led the path to what we have now. Well, I think that there's a lack of curiosity, right? Totally. And, and, but, I, but, you know, I mean, and there it goes both ways, right? So there's a lack of curiosity, but then there's also a level of frustration that I sometimes see with people where it's like, well, you should know this. But it's like, we're not really being taught that. Like, for example, yeah. I'm, for my next magazine piece, I'm doing a, a cover story on, like, you know, sort of, t- this is not the title, but it's like, women rule the kitchen. And so it's going to be about women chefs uh, in you know, and I think that there's some ground, you know, things to be said, considering I think like kitchens are still like under 20% of the kitchens are, are run by women. Um, yeah, and I so I was actually doing an interview, um, and with somebody who worked for Danielle Boulard, 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 that's how you say Boulard. Um, and he, he was, he actually like turned me on to like, um, these, these, a pair of women, uh, chefs in France who were considered like the like the training ground for like all of the fine like Escoffier and all like the fine chef uh, fine French chefs they trained those chefs that went on to like these great things and like you know history has lost his what now I would if he had not been so generous this guy with um with his knowledge that like that sent me down a whole rabbit hole that I don't know that I'm going to use but I love that I know this now and you know, but it's not something that was knowledge to me, you know, but he was so generous in sharing his knowledge with me. And I so appreciate that. But then I'm also curious to take that knowledge and then go away. And so it kind of is a two way street. Like if you have that knowledge, please share it with people that are hungry for it. But, and at the same time, like, 
you know, if you don't know something, like be curious. Well, that's the the thing. I mean, I lean towards the the lack of curiosity mm-hmm. um, and the sense of discovery a bit more. But yes, just because you do know things that others don't, don't intimidate or condescend or shame in any way. Um, and, you know, I see sometimes, on, you know, the rare occasions where I really go down social media rabbit holes uh, of the idea of generations younger than me, I'll call them, being proud of the fact that they have no idea about anything that came before them, like that came before this moment. The one that Alyssa and I always talk about is that until a year ago, all these people said they had no idea that Catherine O'Hara of Schitt's Creek was also in Home Alone, as if like people don't have lifelong careers and do more than one thing. Um, And that it was like a shock to them. Um, But yes, but my response is, well, I can be a little saddened, little disheartened by that but it's not about shaming or uh, or or in some way making them feel frustrated to not know it i always came from a place of wanting to impress the people older than me so i was always trying to find out more about the classic rock that was around before i was born and the movies before i was born and you know it's always about discovery for me like oh there was a play that people said was good and won awards what is that why was that significant that sort of thing i don't see a lot of that it annoys me but but yes i to your point about the two-sided thing neither side there is right i just wish people knew more about the before well i mean i think that there is also and this is like now we're going to tread down controversial territory right like you guys I do buckle think- up there might be this sort of like, I don't know how you say this, but like his, history is frowned upon. I will say that in graduate school. Um, when I was in grad school, I at NYU, like I was, I, I went there to study with Brooks McNamara, who is, um, I don't know if anybody knows him, but he was a big time sort of like vaudeville and burlesque, uh, historian he was a theater historian and he ran the schubert archives um that was his that was his like baby like that's what he did as well as being this professor at nyu and he was my advisor and i really loved working with him and sort of like yeah and sort of um looking at american popular entertainment through this historical lens and i was doing a lot of work in vaudeville and a lot of work on burlesque and um and burlesque in particular ended up being sort of like you know with the Ziegfeld Follies and you know mm. like I sort of like ended up kind of in that special in that er- kind of area of specialization um but Brooks you know at the time there was this sort of that I was there there was this changeover from look from like looking at things through this historic lens to this new sort of like you know I don't know, this sort of melding of like theory and philosophy, you know, so there was a lot of like Judith Butler, Lacan, Mm -hmm. some Freud, uh, Nietzsche, you know, and so it was sort of like looking at performance through that lens instead, right? And it was, um, and so this was all being borrowed, I think, from literary criticism was sort of like coming, bleeding over into into performance. And they were actively trying to push Brooks out of the program yes. because he no longer fit with um, with what they were trying to do in terms of like moving from his like sort of, you know, his his living in the archives. Right. Living. Like I was always living at the, the Library of Performing Arts like, you know 
and 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 living in those in the archives and sort of like now we're just gonna have all of these weird like we're just gonna run run through all these theories and and so i so i feel like that kind of there is a willful ignorance when it comes to certain things like that yeah and i don't even think it's controversial for you to say that it's facts this is where we are. Right. I mean, you know, I think it gets sticky when you say, well, whose history are you telling and all of that? But I mean, I think... But that's that almost a different conversation. It is a different conversation. But, you know, I, I think that there's a lot that can be learned, particularly, you know, when you're looking at performance, like what came before, who came before, what's mm-hmm. the work that they're doing, you know? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that I love that, but I, like, love that. And if I could, like make a living as an archivist that's probably what i should have done with my life just sitting around with all the papers that smell kind of damp and sounds kind of glorious i know it really is sometimes (laughs) i think i should have been an accountant (laughs) it really is i just want to hang out with the moldy manuscripts yeah there was life in those Uh, there really was there really was and so and and anyway you know by the time i was you know sort of being told, well, you need to make your decision if you want to, you know, stop with your master's or go on with your PhD. And I was like, and he and Brooks was like, well, I'm retiring. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not staying. So I left. Yeah. Well, I'm happy our paths ended up here on the boulevard. Yeah, I know. I mean, I would have had a completely worthless PhD. Well, in dollars and cents, maybe. Like I have, like, I think I know of like, two people that have their PhDs from my program that are actually teaching like at a university, like they actually have like full-time like teaching gigs. One was Dan Bacalzo. Oh, um, I knew Dan from NYU, which was so weird. Um, and now he, but he didn't teach for a long time and now he but has, he's like, teaching, that teaching now. Gig. Yeah. Now, now he's, he's teaching, teaching in Florida. Gig. Yeah. Down in Florida. Yeah. And the other one was Aaron me. Oh, yeah. She was a little celebrity because Chuck me it was her dad yeah but yeah I think I don't know anybody else that actually is teaching mm-hmm. I mean of course not like I've stayed in touch with people um <laughs> yeah I mean you probably would have heard something at some point but yeah yeah when they were like nope these are your masters I was like see ya I'm out yeah bye bye um but yeah that was um but yeah I think that there is that sort of erasure which is really yeah, too bad yeah, because yeah. there was like I know like Dan was doing a lot of work with like um you know Holly Hughes was like a big mentor to him too um so he was sort of you know so he, he was also working with like you know performance artists that came before right like they, like you know there's anyway blah 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 no not blah 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 <laughs> but you know our lives are where we they are and the world is where the world is and culture has like shifted within all of that yeah and it's okay to bemoan that i think yeah i mean you know i hate to sort of be like you know be like that person that's like well new york just isn't fun anymore but uh, i'm gonna be that person you know just thinking about like what we were talking about with helen hunt being the bad actor like (laughs) right like but who like what was good like down like you had theater going on in these little tiny storefronts on the lower east side can't do that now all of those are are like you know high rent properties like back then it was like nobody was going to lower east side that's when they were doing the shakespeare no but there was and they were all doing yeah 
And they were all finding each other. Yeah, everybody was finding each other. There was all of this really cool stuff going on. Some of it was awful. Some of it was great. But at least that they were they were trying and they were experimenting. And there was a real creative energy to um to everything that was sort of happening and percolating. And and that moves like outside of um you know the the theater scene i mean and that moves into like the dance scene and that moves into the art scene and that moves into the club scene and the Mm -hmm. music scene and all of that was like really interesting and fantastic and um and all of these wonderful weird people just like sort of running around being wonderful and weird um and I know you still catch glimpses of that, you know, sometimes. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's, it would be erroneous to say or to think, well, then there, there's no talent coming up in the new generations. But um, they they have to find themselves and brand themselves in a different way than they used to. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe it's not necessarily the talent. And maybe it's like the, the, the fact that everybody has to brand themselves, too. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think it's it's the paths that are available to them. Yeah. Which, you know, is a top-down thing, too. Yeah. Anyway. 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 So, so Get off R.I.P. Andre Leon Talley. Yes, we're very old. Um, and and I'm going to read that Brian Cox book and let you know what I think. There are some great little nuggets in there, from what I understand. He really does not suffer fools. and, um, and <laughs> I can tell. And, you know, there and there were times where I would just be like, did he just, you know, in interviews, I'd be like, did he just say what I think, what I thought he said? And I'd be like, I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Or you're just like, ooh. Chances are if you thought it, he did. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of like, well, you know, at this point you'd go, he said what he said, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I think think at that point and now still. Yeah, he said what he said, um, which was always like such a kick. Um, but yeah, he um, he did not suffer suffer fools, but nor should he. Right. Nor should us. Nor should we. And I had no idea that he ha- had been offered the Robert Baratheon role in Game of Thrones. I yeah, I only knew that. that once the the all the promotion promotions for the book. Which completely about. makes sense because um, the creator. Oh my god! Now I just lost his name. Game of Thrones guy. D.B. Um, Weiss. No, the other one. The one. Oh, oh, Amanda Peet's husband, D- David Benioff. Yeah. D- David Benioff did. Um, I think it was Twenty Fifth Hour. Was based yes. on his book. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he wrote it. And I remember being on the Twenty Fifth Hour red carpet, and Brian was talking with David, and he'd actually said something to me about how. David had a project going at HBO and oh, wow. obviously turned out to be Game of Thrones. Wow, that and I know, goes back like a decade earlier. Oh my God, it goes back so long wow. ago. And yeah, and I and and I remember he was talking to David about it. And so it would make sense, like he and David had a very good relationship that David would have brought him in to play a role um, on Game of Thrones. So Well, uh, yeah. I'm happy the way it all worked out. Yeah, I am too. And you know, Brian was right to be like, yeah, like the guy dies. Like... <laughs> yeah and so like yeah exactly like secession is the way better show for him too i think and you know he didn't die no no we still got him we still we still got logan roy i think we should uh end it on that note that's as bright a note as we will uh get with this conversation yeah so i say we end there (laughs) i think that's a good idea 
All right, you guys. Uh, like we said, if you've been watching Archive 81 or you saw the tragedy of Macbeth and you think I'm a fool for what I said, uh, let us know. And if there's anything else you guys are watching, reading, listening to, whatevering, uh, please let us know if you'd like us to touch down on it. Give us a holla. Please. Uh, back on the block pod on Facebook. I'm going to bed. And when we're back next week on the Boulevard, I think it's already February. Jesus. Yeah. Well, the world keeps on turning. Here we go. All right. Off to bed with you now. You guys take care. Have a great week. Be well. And we will see you next week on the Boulevard.